Hello there, this is Lisa Borders, and on this podcast, I'll connect with people from all walks of life. We'll talk about overcoming adversity, transmuting the shadow, and moments of illumination. We'll explore what it means to fulfill our potential while maintaining our most authentic selves. And we'll reflect on the lessons we're learning all along the way. If you feel inspired by what you hear, subscribe wherever you're listening, leave a five-star review, share it with a friend, and join the community at lisaborders.us. Thank you for joining me, and this is Enlightened. Hello, everyone. This is Lisa Borders, and I am so thrilled to have the opportunity to talk with two Dukies today. Okay, get over yourself. Yes, we all graduated from Duke University, and we know there's some haters out there, but these are remarkable young women. They are inaugural WIN scholars, the Women's Impact Network. Katie Taylor and Adalis French are terrific, and I'm going to share their bios throughout this conversation, but help me welcome them. Welcome, Katie and Adalis. How are you? Great. Thank you so much for having us. Yeah, we're doing well. I'm excited about the day. Excellent. Listen, I just told everybody you guys are Dukies and you are WIN scholars, the Women's Impact Network. So let's just start there before we step back and talk about your backgrounds and how you got to Duke and all that good stuff. Dallas, I want to start with you. Can you tell us what the Women's Impact Network is and how you became an inaugural scholar there? Yes. So the Women's Impact Network is a scholarship endowment that Katie and I are inaugural scholars of, and it is filled with so many incredible, very powerful women who either graduated or just have a connection with Duke and donate money to help women like us really discover our passions, figure out what we want to do in the world. And it has been such a pleasure for me to be a part of it and just develop the connections that I've developed with so many of the women. And it's nice to know that you have a group of women where no matter what, whatever you need, they will be there for you and will look out for you while you are a Duke student and beyond. That sounds fantastic. I often heard growing up, that women don't support other women. So when I learned about WIN, which started, I think, in 2012, I really was excited. But Katie, how did you find out about WIN? And how does it work? Do you have to apply? Or how do you get into the program? So for Idalis and I, we were recommended by the financial aid director at the time when most likely the leader of Win Bridget, she reached out and asked the financial aid office if they had any women in mind who fit this bill of being someone that had a passion and they were following it, but maybe were slowed down by their financial status at Duke. And that is why they went to the financial aid office. And so it's not really an application process at this time. I think that they have considered changing it, but at this time, they're taking recommendations from the financial aid office and just what they know about students. And then they go and ask these students, would you like to be a part of this wonderful community? I remember we sat down at Alice and I outside of the, the library coffee shop with Miss Bridget, <laughs> and we had never heard of this program And she told us all of these wonderful things that they were going to offer us. 
and it seemed like there had to be a catch. I remember leaving thinking <laughs> there had to be a catch. So the actual program itself, when Women's Impact Network didn't always have a scholarship endowment fund, that's just the part that brought us to it. It is a larger network of trying to get women to give back and be able to gain higher leadership positions in the university as they're not represented in some of the board or really any of the boards across the university, which Duke has many. So I still can't believe really how much they've done from making connections to just like you said, supporting other women with really minimal boundaries. I've found if I just have a question, I'll ask and they're going to try to find a way to help which is fascinating in and of itself. You don't always find that in life, whether it's in corporate America or whether it's in a nonprofit or just in your neighborhood, it's hard to find. So this community that has been established of women supporting women, it's not to say that men don't support women because there are enlightened men who do exactly that. But this is a real opportunity, it sounds like, for women to really step forward and help not only support, but cultivate and curate this next generation. Dallas, let me step back and understand a little bit about each of you. Tell me about how you made the decision to even come to Duke. Where are you from originally and what put Duke on your radar screen? Oh, that's a story. So I am originally from Memphis, Tennessee, born and raised. I'm a Southern girl. And I knew from the get-go, my parents wanted me to go to a very prestigious school because obviously our parents want the best for us. And after I got a certain ACT score, I think my decision along with what my parents wanted were starting to align. And I wanted a school that was both play hard and work hard. And then I felt like Duke was probably the best option for that. So at the time, I really knew that my parents wanted me to become a medical doctor. And so I was trying my best to make that work. And we were running into some issues because what they wanted really didn't align with exactly what I wanted. And then thankfully, after my freshman year, I was able to receive later the WIN scholarship, which allowed me to be at Duke and decide to do more of what I wanted to do. So it was a lot of my parents wanting me to go to this prestigious school, me deciding to go to this prestigious school. And let me actually backtrack a little bit. So I was accepted to this minority recruitment program at Wake Forest. And I came up to Wake Forest my senior year of high school, saw the campus, met some of the students. A lot of the students were not the biggest fan, no shade to Wake Forest, but they um, (laughs) really wanted me to explore more schools in the area. Since we were up there and we'd already drove like 11 hours, my parents were like, let's not make this a wasted trip. So we traveled to UNC first and it was just all of these like random experiences I would have with (laughs) Katie just did a thumbs down but there were all of these experiences I would have on campuses that sort of made me feel like it wasn't the place so when I got to UNC's campus I met a student and they just really weren't kind and so I was like okay I guess we'll just move on and go to Duke's campus and then I made that turn on Chapel Drive and I saw the chapel and literally We were in the car and I said to them, I was like, this is it. And so we got out of the car and my mom and my dad and I, we took a picture and then I applied early decision and that was the end of it. So it was 
for me, I have too much anxiety to wait until February, March about a decision for a school. So I knew I was like, I'm going to have to make a decision anyway. And I think Duke is the best decision. So that is what led me there. And a little bit of my story of how Duke ended up being during my experience. Wow. Love that. Let me unpack that just a little bit, because as you were talking, I realized we had similar experiences. My father was a doctor and wanted me to be a doctor. And so going to Duke was the fulfillment in his mind. Yes, I could do undergrad there and med school. But halfway through, I was like, ooh, I like this. I don't love this. Like, I need to do something different. But it's interesting that you had two experiences that were negative with other ACC schools. No shade. We're not throwing shade. We're just trying <laughs> to explore and understand. But what gave you the confidence to listen to your gut or listen to whatever that little voice was in your head that says, Wake is not the place, UNC Chapel Hill, great schools, but they are not a fit for me. I know you had a specific incident occur, but what gave you the strength to say, I'm not going to stay here, I'm going to go to the next place and check it out? I think I have to shout out my parents here. They have always raised me to be a go-getter. So it was never them, it's never been this thing of settling for less. So it was always, okay, if you don't like this, let's go to this next option. If you don't like this, let's go to this next option. I think sometimes because I am such a go-getter and especially my father, we do butt heads sometimes <laughs> with the things that we want, but they instilled in me and raised me in a way, I'm also an only child, where they taught me that if I worked hard enough for something, I would be able to achieve it. So I knew that deep down, there was no evidence that I would even be accepted to do, but I felt, okay, if this is what I want somehow with my parents, with the support of God, I will achieve it. So that is, I think, the main reason why I had the confidence and the gall to just decide that Duke was my place and keep going until I found that place. Man, I love the audacity, particularly at such a young age. And Katie, I know you're originally from Arkansas and you're a first generation college graduate. So tell us how you made your decision to come to Duke and pursue math of all things. Girl, I can barely spell <laughs> math. So I want to make sure I understand what possessed you. Do you have the innate talent? I have a sister like that. She finished like summa cum laude in math. I finished O laude. So tell me how you did that. So as Dallas was speaking, I was simultaneously trying to figure out how to piece together because I feel like it is really just so many different pieces that I can think of that led me to where I went. And when Dallas was talking about that turn to seeing the chapel for the first time, I got a few tears, to be honest, because every college experience is going to have up and downs. But I truly am so thankful for the time that I spent at Duke and how much it helped me to grow. Starting or growing up in Arkansas, I will forever be so thankful for just growing up the way I did. I had a seemingly simple lifestyle, a lifestyle off the land, if you will. My grandfather raised a garden every summer, pretty big. We had lots of things to pick always. No Wi-Fi up until I was in high school, and that was something that was purchased through my scholarship program. So that's the big reason that I got to go to Duke. So when I was a seventh grader, my gifted and talented teacher, Dr. Judy Bynum, she was really big on, first of all, her name was Dr. 
And apparently I came home one day and I told my mom that I wanted to be like her. I wanted to be a doctor like her. And she had a PhD and I had no idea what that meant. And honestly, I didn't know what that meant until the junior year, my junior year at Duke. (laughs) And I'm still figuring it out. I just don't know what it means. But she really looked for opportunities for us, even though we were growing up in this rural public school area. And she told us about the Duke TIP program. You can take your ACT in the seventh grade, then you can get admitted into this Duke talent identification program and it serves you opportunities for things like summer camps and the sort. So I took the ACT. I had a score high enough in seventh grade for them to say, wow, you really know some information if you can take this senior test and make a decent enough score. And we'd like to invite you to these summer camps. And I'm reading through these summer camps and their list of just the topics that are just out of this world. And one of them was cryptography, code breaking, which my grandfather and I, other grandfather, not the one with the garden, we love to do puzzles and word searches. I wanted to go to this camp so bad. And it was $4,500 for the three-week camp, plus the flights. And since my mom, maybe that was about half of her yearly salary, quite literally, for us to do that, that was out of the question. But they had a little form you could send back about why you weren't doing the camps. And I checked financial and I sent it back in the mail. And they sent me back a list of scholarships. The Duke tip program was like, I can still remember the color of the paper. It was a yellowish tone paper. And it was just a list of scholarships. Some of them were individual people that would donate your flight. Some of them would pay half tuition. Some of them would pay whole tuition. And they were just different things. I applied every single one on the page, first of all. And one of them I got. And the one that I got was the Jack Kent Cook Young Scholars Program. And they pay for a summer camp every summer and they bought my printer and they helped us get Wi-Fi so that I could do online courses. And they helped me know what the college application process meant. Like my mom said, when I was in middle school and I was doing well, she was like, oh no, she's going to go to the UA flagship, which is in Fayetteville, Arkansas, about five hours from us. She was like, oh no, she's not just going to go to college. She's going to go to college far away from me. And well, we've heard where I ended up 16 <laughs> hours away. And the big story is that the Jack Kent Cook Foundation really changed my life. Their program in the Young Scholars is to take young students with great academic potential, but high unmet financial need. And they really just changed my life. I'm When I left for Duke the summer before I left for Duke, my grandfather was telling someone, he was like, if she didn't make it on what Y'all, he says, I had the voice memo still. (laughs) He passed in 2016, so I get a little tender. But Mm -hmm. he said, if they don't make it, if she don't make it on what they teach her, I've taught her enough to where she can make it. That's why I start with the story that I got to be raised up in a life where I appreciated things that I had around me and my family and my friends and earth and nature and what it provides for us. And then I got to go and have really good food in the cafeterias and experience really nice steakhouses <laughs> and do things of that sort. So I think it's really amazing that I made it to where I was, but I wouldn't change it for the world. That was a long story, but it's a good one, I think. <laughs> no, it's a fat. Both of you all have fantastic stories and they start rooted in the family with the influence, Dallas, of your parents, with Katie, the influence of your parents and your grandfather, your sibling. At the end of the day, I was going to ask you, okay, so you guys were doing like farm to table before that was a thing, 
right? You guys <laughs> had your own garden and you were working the land, which is amazing. So you guys end up at Duke at the same time. And Dallas, I know you were a psychology major, and I don't know if you knew you wanted to be a psychology major, but how did you and Katie cross paths? And did your psychology stuff kick in that she's a person who's different. She's from a rural environment. You're from an urban environment. Both of you are young women and they were to pursue your academic education, but how did you meet? But then what really connected you? I think Katie and I have the same spirit. So we're both from the South. We both came from families that were very different from the majority of what the Duke student population comes from. So I think at least for me, I didn't really understand when I was applying what I was walking into. I didn't realize that we were going to be going to school with kids whose parents were in the 1%. And for us, there was so much about Duke that was so new. So it would be the most exciting thing to come and tell my friends that were at other universities, like Katie was mentioning, the different things that we were eating and the experiences with basketball and stuff like that. So I don't remember exactly how Katie and I met, but when we met, we knew that we were going to be close. So before we were picked as inaugural WIN scholars, we already had a very good relationship together. Now I actually am remembering. So our sophomore year, before we were picked for WIN scholars, I believe Katie and I were in this program called Launch. That is how the director of financial aid at the time, Allison Rabiel, really got to know us. And the program was for women who were of minority populations or women who came from financial situations that were not the same as the majority of students at Duke. And through launch, they gave us so many resources. So we were going through resume editing, CV preparations, interview preparations, and we did this magnificent inventory about all of our skills and abilities to tell us exactly what we probably would do well in our careers. And I think in that experience, Katie and I got really close. And it's just feel like you said with our psychology background, I feel like for me, when my intuition tells me that someone is good, I go with that. And normally it doesn't lead me wrong anyway. And there aren't many people I would rather be as connected with after Duke as Katie. And I think we've been able to like get each other in a lot of ways. And this friendship has been something that I've enjoyed so much. Katie is much better at this than I am, but she is a pen paler. And with my stress of grad school, we're both stressed in grad school, but I will see them and I'll be like, oh my gosh, I'm going to get to this and I'm going to respond. And I just don't. But seeing her wishing me happy birthday or seeing her just sending me something to let me know how she is doing has been one of the most special things to me as we have been much more disconnected since leaving Duke. Incredible. So the relationship piece is going to take you both far. I can just tell you that most people don't understand how important relationships are. We obviously have our biological family relationships, but when we get beyond that, it's sometimes difficult, which is why I asked the question, how did you connect and what created the synergy or the intuition that you were willing to follow? Katie, what about you? Obviously we know how you met, but what was the clicking, if you will? I say that all the time. I have to click with somebody. I have to feel comfortable with them. And sometimes I have to get comfortable. What was it for you that clicked with Dallas? 
So I don't get to say I have a psychology background. <laughs> Help me trust my gut. But my mom loves to say, trust your gut, Katie. Trust your gut about people. I certainly had a similar situation in the way that Adela spoke of just can tell that she's a sweet spirit and a loving spirit and a giving spirit and a spirit that wants to help others. And I like to be around people who want to help others and who want to give back in the ways that they're best capable of, I guess. The curiosity is one thing, but the commitment, that's a whole nother level because letter <laughs> writing is a, a lost art. But this notion of helping people and supporting people, Adalis, I know that you are interested in doing that in life as well with your speech pathology practice. I'm already putting it in the universe. That's what you're going to do and you're going to be you. successful. <laughs> you're going to get your master's and you're going to be just turning it up. So talk a little bit about how you made the decision to go into that space to help people in that particular area who have difficulty communicating or tell me what made you focus there? Okay. I think I knew, and I think my parents also knew from the get-go that my career path was going to have to be working direct or directly with people. My mom always quotes this moment. There were several moments whenever I was growing up, let's say a commercial for Feed the Children or a commercial for like the animals that the Humane Society came on. I would just like immediately go get her wallet and I would be like, okay, <laughs> we have to like, we have to call these people and we have to, we have to give them as much money as possible. And I think a few times she did, or she like made me think that she did, but it just made me feel good because I was like, that's all I want to do is help people. And then in second grade, there was a moment where we all had to have one wish and the other second graders had wishes like, oh, I want the pizza party. Oh, I want, you know, us to be out at recess for a few hours. And I really got up there. And I said, I want world peace. And everybody laughed at me. And they thought it was like the most dorky, weirdest dream. But that was what I wanted at the time. And from then on, when I was at Duke, I participated in this program called the Girls Club. That was a piece that led me to speech pathology. So in that program, we worked with middle school girls, primarily Black and Latinx girls. And we would lead different sessions about sexual health female empowerment, confidence, just an opportunity for them to sit with other women who were older than them that they could connect to that were not their parents and just talk, express their feelings about themselves, work through things that they wanted to be more confident in. And from then, whenever I would have a bad day at Duke, I always knew, okay, on Tuesday, I'm going to go see my girls and I'm going to be able to work with them and I'm going to make an impact. And so from there, I was like, okay, but there's something about, it wasn't a clinical setting, obviously, but it was something about working hands-on with those girls that really gave me the strength to know that, okay, I think I am going to be able to work face-to-face -face with people and make that type of an impact. And as I mentioned earlier, with my parents really wanting me to be a medical doctor, I was like, okay, I think we can find a compromise. <laughs> I, I decided that clinical psychology was the next best step. Then I started to realize research is cool to me, but I really like things that are more clinically focused. And for me, I am a very sensitive woman. So I thought that the mental issues that 
I would be working with in clinical psychology would personally be too much for me. And I didn't think that I would be able to separate my work from my life. And interestingly enough, with that program that we had with launch, clinical, I was immediately expecting that clinical psychology was going to be the first one because I was like, oh, I figured it out. That's what I'm going to do. And then clinical psychology wasn't first, but speech pathology was. And I was like, what is that? I think clinical psychology was like number five out of the 50, but speech pathology was number one. And then I didn't know what it was, but I had one of my best friends from home. She had a relative or friend of her mom's that knew a speech pathologist. And so they connected me. And then I ended up doing an internship that next summer after the launch program in a preschool speech pathology, physical therapy, occupational therapy practice. And at that practice, we were working at a preschool language camp with the kids. So I was like very new, was just volunteering, trying to get a sense of what was going on. So we would help the kids with their language objectives. We would work with the preschool teachers and read them stories. And there was one student that I really loved. She was diagnosed with ASD, autism spectrum disorder, and she had her own language. She was able to understand what we were saying, but she could not express to us anything in English. She would just say things that sounded like gibberish, but there was something in her spirit and in her eyes where I was like, I want to do whatever I can to help this girl. So we were working there for about three months. And then I realized this is exactly what I wanted to do. But at the same time, what was hard about that is Duke is a very pre-med professional school. So for me, it was very hard to find resources for nursing, physical therapy, occupational therapy, or speech therapy, because the track was normally, if you were going to be a psych major or bio major, chemistry, it was assumed that you were going to med school. And so I knew that I was going to be on this path alone of figuring out speech pathology. And that was really hard because I didn't really have a lot of pre-health advisors. Everything was very much focused on medicine specifically, but I tried my best to not let that stop me. I would look into different internships because unfortunately speech pathology internships are normally unpaid. And so I would just try to volunteer in the area or just get experiences that would closely aligned to speech pathology when I wasn't really in a program that did not have a speech pathology advisor. And I do remember my last semester at Duke, my senior spring, I was volunteering at the Durham Nursing Rehabilitation Center. And there I was able to see the speech pathologists. And even though I wasn't there to observe them, it was nice to like sometimes sneak away and see what they were doing. And since that story of the young girl that I met, she was about four years old at the time that was not able to speak English. I have shifted what I wanted to do in the field. The field is incredibly broad. So you can work with gender affirming voice clients. You can work with swallowing disorders. You can work in the schools, which will have language disorders, articulation disorders. So people that can't say their R's or different phonemes of the English language. But since then, working with that girl, I've realized I really love adults. And I feel like there are not that many people who want to go into the field to work with adults because working with adults isn't as glamorous. Kids are normally very excited and that you're having an impact on the next generation. And I still appreciate that about the field, but I am really interested in making older adults and as comfortable as I can, and also 
gender affirming voice. So working with clients in the LGBTQ community who are really just trying to be seen and known and feel as if they are as accepted as everyone else. And I think that psychology piece fits in there too, because there's a lot of mental health involved with that. And the field is really broad, but I think I have started to find my niche in adult healthcare. It sounds like it. At the end of the day, as I listen to you explain the opportunities you sought so that you would get the exposure that you needed to help you make a decision, it strikes me that you're not just a go-getter. You are determined if it's not already available, you're going to make it, which is something that will be helpful not only today, but forever in life. And as you talked about gender affirming voices, talking with the little girl, trying to decide what path you wanted to take, the person that popped into my head was Amanda Gorman, the youth poet Mm. laureate who spoke at President Biden's inauguration. And she talked about having issues pronouncing certain letters. Explain to me a little bit more about gender affirming voices. I understand speech pathology and the breadth of the field and the space, but how do you bring the gender affirming voices passion to life in the field? Yeah. So I have to shout out my university, the University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign and my current university because not a lot of programs provide training for students to work with transgender clients. And I am lucky enough to have a wonderful clinical instructor that focuses heavily on gender-affirming voice. I believe in the county, she's the only specialist that focuses on this population. So we have clients from all ages. We'll see clients that are teenagers, clients that are adults. And it's very nice to get the breath of those experiences because it's been a journey because I grew up in the church and I still am in the church. However, for me, especially with all of the issues that have recently come up in the last few years in terms of human rights and issues in the Black community, issues with the LGBTQ community, issues with marginalized population. And so while I was in grad school, I was able to observe my current clinical instructor that I was just mentioning, working with a gender affirming voice client. And I did it on a whim. I was like, I don't know what this is going to be, but I was like, (laughs) I've already seen students that have articulation disorders, students that have language disorders. So let me just see what this is about. And coming from a church background, I didn't really know. And I didn't really tell any of my family members or friends what I was doing. But as I was sitting there every week, getting to know the client that we were working with, I was like, okay, I feel like the main thing that I want to do while I'm on this earth is love people unconditionally. And I truly believe as still considering myself a Christian, I believe that if we're not loving in a way that is revolutionary, what's the point? And so for me, I conceptualize it as I want everybody, as long as they are on this earth, I want everybody to feel as powerful, confident, and accepted as they can be on this planet as long as they can. And so with the aspects of working with voice, which is also a medical aspect of the field, along with the mental health portion, because sometimes when I'm working with gender affirming voice clients, it is 20 to 15 minutes of us just talking about what's been going on with their day. Or let's say somebody is experiencing a really difficult time with their parents because their parents are not accepting them. So it's 
the therapy is very, it's both functional, but it's also very all encompassing because it's not just about getting their voice to where they want it to be. It's also like providing them with confidence and providing them with insurance and empowerment that at least in this session that we are together, you feel like you can be yourself. So I have really loved learning that and really loved being at this university where I can explore that and see where that leads me. But gender affirming voice is a field that is pretty new in the field of speech pathology. But I do think it is so important, especially as we enter into this time where so many old beliefs and old patterns that we've had are starting to change in our broader society, especially in the age group that Katie and I are in. As I was listening to you, I thought, I'm going to ask her about an enlightening experience, but I think you just described it, having come from the church where there are many set paradigms about how we should be and how we should behave, how we should dress, how we should present ourselves. To take that experience in the clinical space and broaden that concept to love in a revolutionary way and accept people as they are and help them become even more confident in who they authentically are. Girlfriend, hats off to you for doing that. That is an enlightening experience. Katie, let me turn to you. Yeah, two snaps up for sure, because you too want to help people. And yours is more a discrete science, right? You've got the math thing going, which scares the bejesus out of many people. But you not only have a gift for it, you're willing to share it and try to break down barriers for those who whether it's the college level or whatever level, struggle with math. I can balance my checkbook now. We all do that in an automated way, so I don't really have to do the math anymore. But numbers undergird a lot of what happens in life. So what put you on the math path beyond your gift to support others so they too can be empowered to navigate life through that analytical space? Yes. So- I'm just going to take a brief second and just speak on Dallas, what you just said, and just affirm that this is wonderful because I get to learn even more about experiences that Dallas and I haven't gotten to speak on. And it just confirms that the gut was right. Uh, (laughs) And I love that. And I had similar experiences as I started leaving Arkansas and my mom and I took our first flight together when we went to the DC area to go and do these scholarship adventures. And so I think as I slowly started to get out into the world and learn more about just what other people did that I thought wasn't allowed because of growing up in the church and things of that sort. And very quickly, I took on the mindset, wow, I don't want other people. I wouldn't say very quickly. I would say I wanted to very quickly become someone that made everyone feel comfortable being around me and knowing that I wanted to support them no matter what. It definitely started out where I was like, maybe I shouldn't mention that I'm friends with this person from this population to my family at home. But then pretty quickly, I was like, hey, I'm bringing someone to visit us from this population and you better be nice. And if you're not, then we'll leave. So I kind of got where I was like, these people deserve to be loved and, and cherished. And just like me and you talking to my family. So I just really resonated with a lot of the things that Adela said. I, I said That was awesome. Regarding the math, I certainly had some struggles when I was in my high school algebra one class. And I was like, wow, this has given me a challenge. At the time, I really enjoyed reading up until then. I think that I did good in math. 
but I certainly enjoyed the reading aspect of things more. It maybe wasn't my favorite subject growing up, but I found a challenge in it. And it was one of those things where I was having trouble and the teacher said that I might not get an A in that class. And I was like, okay. We'll see about that. It was more of a a rebellion thing. And then it happened again with the teacher that was teaching algebra two and no one ever gets an A in here and they were proud of it. And I was like, okay, all right, we'll see about that. And that ended up being my first job that was official. That wasn't just picking and shelling peas and selling them to the community. It was tutoring students after school in mathematics with that teacher that was like, wow, you did get an A and and you earned it and you really worked hard to make sure you understood the underneath and not just the processes. Then I started realizing when I was working in the tutoring, just how much I loved it. I think I had already done some things of the sort, staying after school with my mom in the computer lab during after school tutoring previous to my own high school experiences. But that was when I really started to realize how much I enjoyed seeing the light bulbs that others had when they finally felt like they understood and they got another problem and gave them another example and they got that right too. I loved seeing the light bulbs. So I had a lot of good experiences, but then the summer before college came and I got a job working at our local university for your university acceptance. They would accept anyone that applied. University of Arkansas at Monticello. And I was tutoring their intro level mathematics courses, which intro to algebra, intermediate algebra, college algebra. Intro to algebra and intermediate algebra are considered remedial slash developmental courses, and they're non-credit bearing in most universities across the United States, meaning that students have to pay for them and they have to take them if they place that low in mathematics in order to get to the college algebra course required. So college algebra is a den ed that is required, but if you're not ready to go to college algebra and you have to take this intro and intermediate sequence, that's a full year of college mathematics that you have to pay for. You don't officially get credit for. And wow. this that's where the passion started growing for me was seeing these students struggle on this path to becoming a nurse, for example. I had one student that had every single course. They've passed A and P, one and two. They've done clinicals. They've taken all these science courses, but they don't have this intermediate math course to get them to college algebra so that they can graduate. And math is just providing this barrier to them as a student. And I see it again and again with these courses. If you fail a course that you're not even getting credit for, and it's just putting you behind, it just really dampens the spirit. And I worked at that college, ended up three summers across my time at Duke, including the summer that before I went and continued to have stories of this sort where I was just becoming more more fueled about trying to fix it almost. I just didn't feel like it was doing what it intended. I felt like it was harming more than it was hurting to give these developmental courses, remedial courses, get these students up to par. In fact, it was pushing them down and just pushing them out of the system entirely. That was just based on stories I was hearing. But now that I've started reading research papers on the efficacy of developmental and remedial courses in my program. So I'm currently enrolled in a PhD in mathematics program at the University of Alabama. Similar to how Dallas spoke on how her university is one of the main ones that works in gender affirming voices and how it just has a very specific like area that she's allowed to now work in. Similarly, this mathematics department has a research in mathematics education 
where even though my PhD title would be in mathematics and I'm currently taking a ton of mathematics courses and will take qualifying exams in mathematics that say, yes, mathematics enough to teach it. At the end of the day, I'll do my research in how we're teaching mathematics. And for me particularly, obviously this passion is leaning toward how we have these developmental and remedial non-credit bearing mathematics courses set up and how they're affecting students from minority backgrounds, first generation students, low income students that are having to pay for these books and supplies and course fees, but then not get any closer to their degree, et cetera. And so when I was at Duke, I saw similar things because I had to start at Calculus One, not having high school calculus at my my local my school that I grew up in. So I started the lowest math at Duke, which in my mind I think of as the equivalent of when you start at the lowest math at this university that I was teaching at. And I just felt really behind because I had to take Calculus One and Calculus Two, and that was my freshman year gone. And then I had to take Linear Algebra and Calculus Three, and that's my sophomore year gone. And those were the prerequisites for the mathematics major at Duke. And so now I'm like, cool, now I have to take eight math courses. I didn't even know there was math higher than calculus until now. (laughs) I just wanted to be a math teacher and to be a math teacher here, since there's not an education major, you have to get the major in mathematics. So I'm like, okay, cool. I'll do that. And then I just realized what I got myself into. I was like, wow, this is a lot of math. (laughs) There's no numbers. I don't know what is happening. No (laughs) No numbers anymore. So anyway, it really was a journey. It was getting that D plus at midterm in calculus one. I was like, wow, this is really hard. (laughs) I don't know if if I'm going to be able to do this. Having to tap into the resources that Duke provided, the tutoring, the office hours, just really anything that I could grab. I just felt like I was sinking and I couldn't sink because I couldn't lose my scholarship. Just recognizing how much resources, how much that opportunity to use those resources helped me through my Duke math career in the end. Even more the want and need for like resources to be at universities that aren't as well endowed as Duke University. I was the single one and only math tutor in the summers and the couple of summers that I was at that university and the couple of summers that I wasn't able to tutor, I believe that they did. It just, it was sometimes a little unclear if they would even have a tutor. So if students were struggling, it was the professor or a friend or nothing, as opposed to at Duke where I had a professor and the math help room and a math study group and a math peer tutor that was free and a one-on-one tutor, not even just going to a help room. So I also am really passionate about wherever I do end up, I hope that I will be able to encourage the implementation of resources that will help students that are struggling with the barrier that mathematics provides or post just help students get over it because if they have a passion and mathematics is stopping them I just hate that I chose to love mathematics so that hopefully I could help someone and hopefully it will be 10 people 100 people I don't know as many people as I can love it or at least like it enough or at least just believe in themselves enough while they hate it to get over it and continue doing what they want to do to change the world. And I'll stop talking. Listen, (laughs) I'm sitting here being amazed. Dallas is holding her heart. I'm thinking to myself, first of all, to go from a D plus in one class to pursuing a PhD in math, the arc 
of that change and the arc of that accomplishment is nothing short of remarkable. And I was going to ask you too about an enlightening experience, but you just described it, having the light bulb go off when you realize that mathematics that you love was actually stopping others. It's a barrier and you want to knock down that barrier. And I just have to say, listen to the two of you, I understand why you are friends. I understand each of you wants to help people, but the energy that you bring to everything that you're talking about, whether it's psychology and speech therapy, or whether it's math and being a teacher and knocking down those barriers, I get it. It's abundantly clear why you guys are aligned, but let's bring this all the way back to WIN, to the Women's Impact Network, because you all were and you always will be inaugural scholars for when these were women who wanted to support you which historically and traditionally we read in the data and in the studies women don't support women and you guys are an attest to that not being true so as you think about the experience that you all have from coming to duke to meeting one another to interacting to being win inaugural scholars what would you tell us in the world, but certainly fellow alums about the WIN program and how it has impacted your life? Because both of you have had these enlightening experiences as a result of what you've studied, but you studied as a result of programs like WIN at Duke. So what would you tell? Dallas? start with you. Okay. I remember on my, I don't know if Katie remembers the Common App when we had to apply for college. I wrote my essay about Olivia Pope because Scandal was out at the time. And I was like, okay, black woman, fierce, (laughs) amazing. This is all, this is exactly who I want to be. And in that essay that I wrote, it was about me coming to Duke. And what I wanted was to become a woman that was just very confident in herself because I struggled with confidence my entire life. And the quote that I used in my Olivia Pope common up essay was a quote from Eleanor Roosevelt that says, no one can make you feel inferior without your consent. So to me, that quote was something that I like had on my wall and I wanted to make sure by the end of my experience that I was a woman who fully believed that and tried to walk into that. And it was hard because from the get-go, I was like, even when I don't feel confident, I want to work with the girls club and work with the women, the young girls that I was working with. And even if I don't have that confidence, I'm going to instill that confidence in them so that they don't have the same struggles that I have. But then when came along and when also inspired me personally to believe I can be anything that I want to be. And I think as inaugural WIN scholars, there is a significant amount of prestige with that, but also pressure. I feel like Katie and I always have to come with it. And that is okay. And that is, I do appreciate the pressure. But I remember we were asked to say what we would say to WIN scholars coming in. And I truly think that at a place like Duke, I struggled for too long, believing that I was not worthy of my place there. Coming from a middle-class background and not feeling like also being a Black woman, being a woman who was not in a selective living group or a sorority or all of the other things. I had my few service organizations that I participated in, but 
other than that and my campus religious groups, that was mostly what I did. So there was always these struggles that I had internally that a lot of people didn't know about. But then when inspired me to believe that because I'm here, I am worthy. Because I am here, I am able to do any and everything that Duke allows me to do. So I truly do think that women who come to Duke from a lower socioeconomic background often take too long to take advantage of the resources that we have because there's this feeling of shame or saying to yourself, maybe if I actually take these resources, what are people going to think of me? And another thing that inspires me so much about Katie is, I don't know if we were in the same math class, but I know I took Math 105 that fall and I flunked it. I'm very comfortable saying that. I got a D minus. And at that time, that was my final grade. And I didn't know where that was going to put me in my Duke trajectory. But because I was still dealing with so much imposter syndrome of if am I actually worthy of the money that Duke has provided me or the place that I have here, I didn't look out and try and take those tutoring resources because I was like, no, okay, strong Black woman stereotypes. I can do this. I don't need tutoring. I'm going to get it. It's going to be fine. Nobody's going to have to look over me. I'm going to look after myself. And if I had taken the opportunity to just say I need help or to go to the career center more or to realize within myself that nobody could take my place away from me, that would have made Duke a lot easier for me. But I appreciate when so much now, even more than I did then, because I can honestly say, if there isn't a table, make your table. I don't care how much money or wealth or if you have students who you interact with that are legacies, if you are there, you are supposed to be there and no one can take that away from you. Regardless of how you got there, you're there. So take advantage of all of the opportunities. So seeing so many incredible women who have guided our path and allowed us to really blossom into who we are today, there may be moments when I feel not very confident walking into a new clinical situation at Illinois, but the amount of them are so small and they're minuscule in comparison to the many times when I feel so much more confident to go after any and everything that I want. And I don't let those thoughts stay in the same way that I did as an undergrad. So if I could tell any of the future WIN scholars or just women like us in general that are going to the Dukes and the Stanfords and Harvards of the world, regardless of how you got there, you're there. So take advantage of all of the opportunities. I know Katie and I got to do so many things like studying abroad and Duke Immerse and Duke Engage. So eventually I feel like I was able to understand that I am able to be in that place and not have to need validation or someone to tell me why I should be there but I wish I had taken that opportunity earlier. But now I am so thankful that I even had when to have these women that showed me that for the rest of my life, I will always be worthy of wherever I'm at and can take that confidence with me wherever I go. Girl, let the church say amen. I would tell you, quit looking back and saying what you regret. Everything happens in its own time, the way it's supposed to happen. But you just revealed another moment of enlightenment about your own character and your own strength and your own struggles and how you are overcoming them, not just based on Duke and Win, but all the experiences and the exposures that you have had. So thank you for sharing that. Katie, what about you? What would you tell 
the wind scholars coming behind you? So I also wanted to just, I'll briefly say you asked how wind shaped it. And you had made a comment earlier about how I went from this D plus in Calc 1 to a PhD in mathematics. And let me tell you, I did not have that in the path for me. Long ago, I did want to be a doctor, but it was really because just Dr. Bynum had such a strong influence on my life and believed in me so much. And I wanted to be a teacher that believed in her students that much. And I thought maybe the doctor did that for her, but that was just her heart. But anyway, (laughs) I truly, it was when in my connection with women that were in when that got me to the point where I realized I could as a confirmation that I truly didn't expect to, when you take get to the upper level math courses, you have to decide, do you want to take 401 or 501? Do you want to take 431 or 531? They're the same subjects, but 500 level means I want to go to graduate school in math. So they are harder and they prepare you more for that. And I was like, oh my gosh, there is no way I could go to graduate school in math. There's no way that I just can't, I just could not imagine that truly. And so I picked every time there was a choice of, are you going to graduate school in math or not? I was like, I just don't think I can. And I would pick the lower course. And I did. I took all the lower courses that I just did. I just didn't believe in myself. I did, but I didn't at the same time. And my junior year, we get this win inaugural scholars and I'm taking a cryptography class, which I mentioned that was the summer camp that started me wanting to go to camp that started me searching for money. And I'm starting (laughs) to truly feel like a math major because like I mentioned, these first two years, I take all these prerequisite courses and I'm still not taking math classes. And they have this event at Duke called Women's Weekend where they bring together women alumni. And here I get to meet when because the win women are also there to have their meeting. Because if you're already bringing together amazing women, for one thing, might as well have your meeting about your amazing women impact network at the same time. And I meet this woman, Stacey Klein Gardner, who, and also Mimi Bliss, she, they're both from Nashville, turns out. And Mimi was my mentor that I was paired with officially through the Women's Weekend and then connected me to Stacy due to Stacy's work in engineering and access to engineering at high school level and how a lot of students don't come to college prepared or even knowing what engineering is. So similar wanting students to have the ability to pursue things that they want to pursue vibes as my mathematics passions. And Stacy and Mimi both supported me in my summer between junior and senior year, helping me connect people, connect me with people at Vanderbilt, connect me with people just across the United States, figuring out what graduate school looked like at an education school, which is where I thought I wanted to go. And also mathematics departments and instilling in me, if I wanted to teach mathematics, that didn't mean I needed an edu- at a college level. That didn't mean I needed an education degree in math education. It means I needed a mathematics degree. I was like, now you're telling me I can go six years learning how to teach mathematics and then they won't let me teach mathematics. And they were like, yes, that's exactly it. So I had to really had to decide are you going to go to math grad school now? This is right before my senior year. I'm already supposed to have my GRE taken. I find out that the GRE exists. Like I'm just stumbling through this process, trying to figure out what graduate school means and how it works. And the Women's Impact Network was right there beside me, whether it was advice from the women and telling me that I could do it or helping me make connections 
or the financial part that comes alongside applying to graduate school. So Dallas and I both had just outstanding experiences in these women saying, oh, here's a Belk gift card and go get yourself a nice interview outfit. And let me tell you, I've worn that thing to death. That blue dr- <laughs> I got a Duke blue dress and I have just used it so much. And it's just such a nice out like piece that makes me feel confident, but something I wouldn't have had the extra expendable funds to go and get myself. I would have just borrowed pants from my friends that and like a business shirt and applying for the graduate school application fees, the flights to go and visit, like all of these things, the Women Impact Network also supported us financially. That's how I'm where I am, I would say. It was that, okay, you want to do something and you don't really understand what it is and we have minimal time, but we'll get it done. And they got it done. And now I'm here. And it definitely took a level of knowing that I needed help and being let me say that I don't understand what graduate school, let me just say explicitly, (laughs) I don't know what the GRE is. Let me just say explicitly, I don't have $800 to apply to eight graduate schools. And then they made it happen. And of course, that's not the experience you're going to have with every person that you meet or every group of people that you meet, but it was for me and it changed my life again. So I continue to have people (laughs) that are lifting me up and programs that are lifting me up that get me to where I am. And I just hope to continue to give back in whatever way that I can as well with that opportunity. The fact that both of you all have graduated from Duke and are now in graduate programs, speech pathology and mathematics PhD in and of itself, I have to say as a Duke alum. I am super proud, but I see another moment of enlightenment here that you guys through WIN have learned to believe in yourself because the women of WIN believe in you, believed and believe now in you. And I believe that cohort, this doesn't go away because you graduated. The network is still in place. And since both of you believe in relationships and helping people, it appears that this moment of enlightenment will get paid forward to the future generations of young women who are coming through Duke and who have the opportunity to go through the WIN program. I am just so fascinated and so thrilled to have had the opportunity to speak with both of you. What you are doing is nothing short of remarkable. And as a woman from Duke, an alum who has invested in WIN, my investment is in you and I remain committed not just based on who you are, but based on what you're going to do. And I am just thrilled to have had this opportunity. So thank you for spending this time with me. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. It has been really wonderful. All right, everyone. That was this week's episode of Enlightened. I hope you learned something new and feel inspired to meet any challenge you may be facing in life. If you enjoy the energy we're creating here, Subscribe wherever you're listening, leave a five-star review, share it with a friend, and join the Enlightened community for bonus episodes and deeper discussions at lisaborders.us. Thanks for joining me, and I'll see you next week.